0: As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In Acts... Two forty-three. Luke tells us that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles members of the church both those who joined after Pentecost and those who believed before are in wonder and awe as they see the mighty works of God performed by the hands of the apostles through the Holy Spirit Luke being a good historian does not leave us to take his word for it, but provides an example of what God was doing in their midst. It happened one day that Peter and John were about to go into the temple for prayer. It was 3 p.m., the time of the afternoon sacrifice. It was accompanied by the prayers of the people. As they are about to walk in, they hear and see a beggar in need. This man was crippled from birth, and we are told that every day he would be left at the beautiful gate to beg for alms from the pious people as they gathered for worship. Seeing Peter and John, he asks for help. Can you spare some change? A coin for some food, please help me. He could not imagine that his entire world was about to be changed. Because Peter gave this man a remarkable gift, a gift worth far more than any coin. In doing so, Peter embodies the truth that the church of Jesus Christ is a church that gives. Now, most of the time when we think about the idea of a giving church, what comes to mind? Well... Money, of course. And often that's exactly what we're referring to. But what we see here is that the church has something to give that is far greater than any money or material blessing. Peter and John show us just three of the church's gifts here. The gift of mercy... The gift of addressing genuine need. And the gift of joy. How do we see Peter and John extend the gift of mercy? Well, let's look at our passage for a moment here. We have this beggar who is unable to walk. He's a man who would have been entirely reliant upon the mercy and generosity of others for essentially everything in life. Now, that being the case, he uses some wisdom. If he needed to beg, he should probably go to the place where people, at least in theory, are more likely to be generous. He knows that every day at the ninth hour, the people will gather together to pray. And so his hope is that the pious among them would be willing to take pity on him, that they would give him something. Smart Smart plan. Yet, his posture tells us something interesting here. We are told that he sees Peter and John about to enter the temple and that he asks them for alms. Peter and John stop and look at this man. And they say to him, look at us. The man had seen them coming, but when the time came to ask for help, he could not bring himself to look at the apostles. We can imagine him staring at the ground, head hung low, not wanting to make eye contact. We can imagine it because I'm sure many of us have seen it. When I was living in Ottawa and working at an Anglican church downtown, it was a daily occurrence to have homeless people sitting on the steps of our church. And if you watched those moments, the countless people going by, this scene from Acts would sound fairly familiar to you. A person sitting on the ground or on a step asks for help as hundreds of feet scurry past them in any direction. On occasion, someone would drop a coin and a hat or a cup and you would hear very quietly usually and often with a tinge of surprise, thank you. But for the most part, they were either looking at the ground or gazing off into the distance without focusing on anything or anyone in particular. That is the image that came to mind as I thought about this passage today. The countless people scurrying past those in need. All the people in such a hurry to get to whatever it is they needed to get to that they might not even see the person sitting right beside them. I know this from my own experience of being so focused on what I needed to do on all the important things of my life and my day that as I would walk up those steps of the church I might not even see the person sitting right there and asking for help. It wouldn't even register. That's why I love this image of Peter and John. They are on their way to worship, to pray together, to sit in the presence of God together. But they did not allow what they were going to do to get in the way of what they needed to do. They stopped. They heard and they saw one in need. And so they extended the gift of mercy. They didn't just drop a coin at his feet And keep on going they stopped and they looked at him I'll speak more about this looking part in a moment but the first thing we want to notice here the first thing we want to highlight is the mercy that they gave to this man they didn't treat him like a speed bump on the road in the way to whatever it is that they needed to do sorry can't help you right now need to go pray i got more important things to do than deal with you. Now, in serving this man and stopping and looking and seeing one in need and acting upon it, they are actually performing an act of worship. They honor God by extending... Mercy. What greater prayer could they offer than saying to this man, I'm going to give you something that can only come from the hand of God Himself in the name of Jesus Christ? Rise and walk. What glory is given to God from this act of mercy? And they extended mercy not simply in the act of healing, but in recognizing the humanity of this man. This man could not lift his eyes to look at them as they walked by. How many people would have walked by him day after day and saw not a person in need, but a shameful thing? Remember where he is, friends. He is at the gate of the temple, the beautiful gate. He's at the gate, he's not inside it. He's on the outside looking in because his physical condition, because of the fact that he was lame, he was not allowed in the temple. He was considered ritually unclean, unable to get inside the gate that he is sitting right there at. Unable to enter the temple, the place for them, the the presence of God was found. He wasn't allowed in because he was a crippled beggar. He was seen as unfit to be in the presence of God. Now knowing that, what can we imagine of what the people would think as they walked by him? What would they think as they saw this one who was unworthy? Yet Peter and John stopped. They stopped and they looked at this man. Bishop N.T. Wright gives us a very helpful summary of this moment. He writes, Somehow there is something important about that deep face-to-face contact. Not only did Peter and John stare at him, but they they told him to look hard at them too. No good turning your face away in embarrassment, as often happens with beggars who are ashamed to catch your eye, and of passers-by who are equally ashamed to look at beggars. What is about to happen is something that involves a deep human contact as well as a deep work of God. Peter and John extended mercy to this man by seeing not a crippled, unworthy beggar, but someone in need of Jesus. Someone made in the image of God who needed to hear that restoration is possible. Bishop Wright, in that quote that I just read for us, he mentions the unwillingness of even the passerby to make eye contact with the beggar. Perhaps it is because when they see the beggar, they see the physical representation of their spiritual state. That without the work of God, without the restorative power of Jesus Christ, we all are beggars at the gate, unable to come into the gate, unable to come into the presence of our Father. We don't want to be reminded of our own sin and shame, and so we look away from the one that we believe to be shameful. It is into that reality that the church must be present to offer the gift of mercy. Jesus himself said, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. That is the gift of mercy the church has to offer the crippled beggar. Whether the people are crippled by a spiritual reality or crippled physically or some combination of the two. The church is there to hear, to stop and to see the need to hear the cry for help the church is the one that is to offer entrance through the gate where mercy and restoration are found for the church to be a giving church it needs to give mercy Second The second gift that the church is called to give is the gift of addressing genuine need. What do I mean by this? Well, if we look at our passage again, you will notice that the act of seeing is very present. Just like in that quote that I read for you, it's all over the passage. Peter and John gaze at this man and they command him to look at them, to focus on them. And he responds by doing that. He fixes his gaze upon them. It's, a, it's kind of an intense moment, really, when you, when you read about it. I, I'm sure many of us have had that moment where you lock eyes with someone, and it's, it's different than just kind of noticing them, right? Whether it's excitement, or, or shock, or heartfelt mercy, whatever it is, this is more than just regular eye contact. The scholars have debated what exactly was going on here. What was it that the apostles seeing? Were they peering into his soul and seeing one with faith to receive Christ? Well, what I think is happening is this second gift. The gift of seeing the genuine need, not just the presenting problem. Seeing the deeper need, the need behind the need. presenting problem of this man's life was that he had no money. He had no money for the food that he needed or for, for the things of life. And when he looks at Peter and John, we're told that he is expecting to receive something from them. The assumption that he makes is that finally someone has heard him and they will give that, him the money that, that he needs. But what Peter and John see is that money will ultimately not solve the problems this man faces. They could give him some money, but guess what? Tomorrow he's going to be in the exact same spot, isn't he? That old saying about, you know, teaching people how to fish. You know it well, so I won't fish. They see the deeper need. They see he needs a greater gift. Verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I give, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What this man needed was to be healed. What he needed was for the first time to be able to stand on legs that were strong and able to carry him. They saw the greater need and applied the greater gift because that is the way of Christ. Jesus did not look upon the state of the world and say, well, you know what? If I just give them a nicer house, or if I solve every problem they seem to get themselves into, or if I give them the power and influence that they all so long for, well, then everything will be great. Nothing could possibly go wrong under those circumstances. It's what addressing the presenting problem does. It assumes what the real problem is, and so that if the problem is lack of money or that our marriages are not as fulfilling as they once were, or that life just isn't what it should be, or that I didn't get the education that I needed, or the opportunities that I needed. And if I just had those, then all of life's problems would go away. That's the presenting problem, and it's the one we like to focus on. But it's the equivalent of trying to heal a broken leg by giving some Advil for the pain and telling them to go on their way. It masks the pain, but no real healing occurs, does it? You have to solve the underlying problem. And that is what Jesus is all about. He sees the problems we face in this world. He sees that they all stem from the original problem that we have, that our sin has left us estranged from our Father, that spiritually we are all at the gate unworthy of entrance. And with every step we take in our estrangement, we get further and further from God our Father. And so Jesus moved to address that problem, to make an estranged, dead heart alive again. Just as this man's legs would not move, that they were functionally dead. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are alive and he is able to move forward into new life. That is what addressing the genuine problem does. It provides a solution not just for the day, but for eternity. Not that you will never have problems again. Any Christian will tell you all their problems did not disappear the moment they believed in Jesus. This man's still going to need food. (laughs) He's still going to need a job. There's things to take care of. But his perspective is totally different. It is one of joy instead of dread. We'll talk about the joy in a moment here. Got a lot of teasers in the sermon for you. Before we get to the joy, though, we want to notice something here. Peter and John don't stop at words, Peter doesn't stop at rise and walk. Verse 7 tells us that Peter took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This is a man who has never walked for a moment in his life. How would he have any idea how to do that without someone helping him? Unless someone is to extend a hand to him and help him stand up and get started, where would he even begin? That's what addressing the greater need is like. It is not enough to say, well, you know what? You just need Jesus. Get yourself a little bit of Jesus, then everything's great. The role of the church is to offer Jesus, to offer that greatest gift and to extend the hand to help someone receive that gift and then learn what it is to walk with Christ through life. I don't know how many sermons I have heard where the preacher stands there and tells them about how people just need more faith, then everything will be fine. Just get yourself some more faith, believe more, life will be what it should be. I have a friend right now who gen- generally sort of believes in God. He's what another friend of mine would call God positive. He likes the idea of God, but he has no idea what following God would mean. There's no meat on the bones there. It would be ridiculous for me to see someone in that state and just say, "You know what? Just pick up a pick up a Bible one day, start reading it. You'll figure it out. Don't worry." Now, of course, reading the Bible is a good thing. But he needs to be taught how to read it well. He needs to be shown how all of it is about Christ. And so we don't call someone to receive and then just say, on your way now. We call them to receive and we extend the hand to walk with them. So they might learn what it is to walk with Jesus. We seek the conversion of the sinner, but then we also seek to help in the sanctification of the sinner. And as it was for the healing of this man, it is the work of God himself. And he works through his people. To not do that is to leave people trying to fill in the blanks on their own, and that rarely ends well most often it leads to people just walking away or coming up with some really bad theology. (laughs) Because Christianity was never meant to be done on our own. It's meant to be done together, as Deacon Josiah explained to us so well last week. How many people are out there right now walking the streets, desperate to have someone show them what it is to follow Jesus. Now, I know we look out at the world, so many of us, and we think, oh, it can't be that many because nobody seems to care about God anymore. It's not true. There are countless who do. And I'm convinced more than ever that that number is growing, not decreasing. And so it is for the church to extend that hand, to walk with them. It is for the church to extend mercy and to give them the gift of Christ. And when we do that, then we get to see the third gift, the gift of joy. This man stands for the first time in his life, and you know what? It's not enough. It's not enough for him. He begins to walk, and it's great. It's not enough. He starts leaping. He is so filled with joy that he is leaping all over the place. It is a picture of unbridled joy. And where does he point it to? God himself. He's leaping around the temple, able to enter in to the house of worship for the first time in his life. Can you imagine what that would be like? He's been sitting at the gate for who knows how many days, for who knows how long being told. He's not good enough to get in and now all of a sudden, he's in. And he's running around like a loony tomb. It's great to see. It is absolutely beautiful. It is the joy of, that should grip all of our hearts when we worship our Lord. It is the joy that we should long to see our non-believing friends and neighbors finally have when they too get to come in. (sighs) That which was dead is made alive again. How is that not a joyful thing? All too often, the church is seen as this dreary place filled with people just slogging through life, making it one Sunday to the next. Friend, you're a child of God. You are one who is filled with the presence of Jesus Christ. How are you not filled with joy? You are the ones who get to say, should I die this day, I get to be with Him. But if I live, He's with me. At no time are you separated from the presence of Christ. If you believe in Him, He is with you now and forever. You have been restored. Do you have any joy in hearing that? Is there any joy in your walk with Christ? Like I'm not saying you got to be dancing around like the, the lame guy all the time. That'd probably make me pretty uncomfortable, to be honest. We are Anglicans, after all. We do things properly. But come on. Life with Christ is a life filled with joy. And perhaps we don't extend these gifts to the world because we don't get this joy. We don't, we don't seem to have it. There's no greater gift we have to offer the world. It just isn't. Why would we ever hold it back? On their way to worship, Peter and John stopped. They saw and they heard. They offered and they helped and they praised the Lord for the mighty deeds that he did. That is the church in action. That is the church in action on the move. In these days, we can surely say, silver and gold, we have not. But friends, we have the greatest gift that we could give and we have him in spades. The church that gives is the one that gives mercy. It is the one that gives the solution to our greatest need and it is the one that gives joy all because the church that gives, gives Jesus. Let's pray. Precious Lord, we thank you that you have restored, that you have healed, you've redeemed. Would you fill us with the joy of that truth again? Would you fill us with your joy this day and for all our days that we would radiate your joy to the world? And we pray, Lord, that in our midst we would see people restored to you, that we would see people healed, and that they would join together with us in praising you all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. It's